Okay. Well, pray with me and we'll get started. Father, we ask um, by your mercy and your grace that your kingdom would come this morning in a really special way. I think a lot of our lives, even though there doesn't need to be a division between heaven and earth, because when Jesus came and he died and he rose from the dead, he declared the beginning of a new kingdom, and we can participate in that fully. And, and God, just awaken our senses to that. Awaken our heart, our mind, that we can, we can see all that is available to us in Christ Jesus to live a full, free life, full of love for you and love for one another. Um, man, God, release our chains if we're bound by anything this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, how many of you would like to live a life confident that you are loved by God and loved by other people? Confident that you are loved by God, loved by... Thank you. Nate was honest back there. Um, yeah. Guys, and this is, this is so... Just, I want you to really quickly imagine what both those things would mean in their fullness. A life loved by God, the God who created the world creatively, making it so full of, of life and intricacy that it just amazes us every day, scares us even by its grandeur. Um, to be loved by that God in such a way that we know that we're secure in Him. And to be loved by other people in a way that we can be comfortable with them, vulnerable with them, share community with them where we know we're not being judged. But even if we make mistakes, that they're going to be there for us. That's what John is writing about in the book of 1 John. That's what we talk about when we... When we talk about being intimate with truth, which is the title of our sermon series, is to be intimate with truth is to know the truth that it is yours to be loved by God and loved by other people and to love other people. And that's the whole, whole point of this. And the reason why first, boy, John is writing this book, I keep wanting to say the reason why first John is writing, the reason why John, the apostle, is writing is because... Uh, this church has believed a lie that has kept them from knowing that they're loved by God and knowing that they're loved by other people. Okay? And we do the same thing. We believe lies that keep us from knowing and living confidently in the fact that we are loved by God. Right? And we also believe lies that keep us separate from one another. And so what John is writing these people is to remind them about what was intended in the very beginning. And so he repeats this, this line, in the beginning, four times throughout the book of 1 John. And, and we're in the fourth time now. But if you, uh, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn, and we'll just look at, at what, when he says this, First uh, John 1, 1, he says, "...that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes." We have looked at and our hands have touched. Chapter 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I'm not writing you 
a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. 1 John 2, 24. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And finally, which we're in today, 3.11. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This was from the beginning. And what this means is that since the, the beginning of the world, since the, the, the start of all things, that God created the world in such a way that, that its life would be understood by relationship. Okay? So when you want relationship, when you long for it, when you feel like you're incomplete without it, it's because since the creation of the world, relationship has meant to be f- uh, the fiber that holds things together and that we understand everything else in relationship to that. We're meant to live our lives in relationship to God. We're meant to live our lives in relationship to other people and in relationship to the whole world, everything. And what's so special about this is that oftentimes in Christianity, we, we, let, the, we let salvation, the idea of salvation, be something that is, is purely me and Jesus hanging out in the air somewhere. But it's not that. There's this, there's this idea towards the restoration of all things in salvation. Right? That, that God is wanting to restore all things. And that is a powerful idea because it, it doesn't just mean me and Jesus, but it means me and you and the world of people. But it also means this world of living things that God wants to restore all things. And this is so important to the the case he's making against Gnosticism because of this. Because when what he's saying is God created the world as what? Good. Not bad. He created the whole world as good. So it's not just me and Jesus hanging out. But but it's me and Jesus in the world with other people, with plants and animals and volcanoes and, and all those things that, that he made. And, and this, is, this is good. And while we have made it our effort to remove ourselves from the world and wait for the day when we can just go to heaven, be done with it, the message of the Bible is strangely different, which is... God is putting his effort into coming here and making his dwelling among us. That's crazy. So it's not, it's not the escapism, which if we practice that, that's just a remnant of Gnosticism, which he's writing against. He's not going, escape the world. He's going, plead for the redemption and restoration of the world. Because when Jesus comes again in his glory, the whole world's going to sing, joy to the world, the Lord. Why? Because he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be awesome. And so while we're trying to leave on spaceships, Jesus is coming down to restore the world. Okay, and that's, that's the hope that we have. And it's an awesome hope because it is a hope that is real. It's not just me and Jesus hanging out in the air. 
somewhere. No, it's, it's tangible. And, and John is wanting to remind us that our hope is something that, that everything is going to be restored. That is what we mean when we pray, Lord, may your kingdom come now on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray that, you're saying, come, Lord Jesus, now and restore we want to have taste of the kingdom now because Jesus is interested in now restoring people and relationships. Right? He's interested in, in us helping restore creation now. Right? It's not just a futuristic event. We, we ask, come now. And, and the word that, that John uses is, is huge. It's the word love. <laughs> And he uses it all throughout the book of 1 John. It's a, it's a key word. It's an all-important theme. And it's so important that he even says, we're going to deal with this in, I think, two weeks from now, God is love. And so when there is love, real love, I'm not talking about, like, Woodstock love, right? <laughs> I'm talking about real love that it says God is love, right? And if you love, you've been born of God, and you know him. Right, so restoration of relationships. So John used the idea of love for one another as being synonymous, as being the same as the Christian life. You cannot have one. You cannot have life in Christ without a life of love. You cannot have life in Christ without a life that, that also incorporates community. Okay? That's important. Why? Because God is about the restoration of all things. And even if you go to a community group and everyone's not just like high-fiving the whole time, right? We're meant to pray, may your kingdom come here on this group, even as it is in heaven. Right? Restore it now. And we're meant to, to long for that and, and love that. So God places us in this context of, context of community. Um, and that is where we enter into our reading today, which is in 1 John 3, verses 11 through 20. And this is what it says. This is the message you heard from the beginning, which we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love with word, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our hearts and knows everything. 
This is the message you've heard from the beginning, love one another. The British playwright George Bernard Shaw said, Christianity might be a good thing if anyone actually tried it. And the question is, what would that look like to try it? And I know, I know a lot of us um, come as, as people who have claimed the gospel, and yet we still wonder sometimes, what would it really look like if we were certain about our love for one another and from God? So what would that look like? Why is there confusion in our identity as Christians? And I think some of that comes from um, the expectation that when you become a Christian, you immediately live to a certain standard of perfection, that, that you immediately somehow are transformed into a more perfect human being. And, and I talk to people all the time who uh, are confused because they've been a Christian and they aren't perfect. They expected that maybe you become a Christian, all of a sudden you just want to hold every baby and, you know, cure every disease. And, and there, are, there should be a change in your affections, but, but why is it that our patterns maybe for a long time remain the same? And this creates, I think, a real confusion. And for some people, they have the thought that goes through their head over and over again, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And um, this last week, I had a really uh, a good experience. I wasn't sure how it was going to be. I had an intensive course. Uh, I'm taking master's classes to get a master's of theology degree right now. And, um, and they've tried structuring the seminary in such a way that it, it is not just a seminary of, of words. You know how it says here, let us not love with words and tongue, but in action. And so... They've, they've tried to form it a different way, and so we started by having this intensive class where we would go away together to camp and, um, and learn to, to practice prayer together and sharing life together, having community together. What, what God wishes to restore, can we participate in some form as seminarians together doing that? And so I went away, and, um, and of course, I was condescending at first, which I think if we're honest, all of us would be, right? Well, I'm not like the other seminarians. Of course, I have more noble intentions. But what I found, (laughs) is this not true? Uh, Okay, okay, so you go in and you're like, you naturally kind of talk poorly about what you've been a part of, like you are somehow the, like, elite redeeming force of your, you know, like, like I was a philosophy major, but not like philosophy majors. <laughs> I'm a seminarian, but not like other seminarians. Um, and yet what I found there was humanity. And it was humbling to be a part of these people who I would sit in a circle with and, and immediately judge them. Why? Because they're seminarians, and I'm, I'm one too, right? Um, but what I heard is we shared each night, there was 26 of us in all, and we would share our stories for 10 or more minutes. Um, 
And what I heard was, in this time of vulnerability, was stories of suicide attempts and depression, right? Of people who struggled with real-life issues, of, of parents who were divorced, and they had to wrestle through that. That's what I heard when I gathered with these people. It wasn't this, I'm going to assert my words and show how smart I am. And in that vulnerability, in that weakness, there was power. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is not about talk. It's about power. The kingdom of heaven isn't about us asserting how good and how worthy we are of the grace of God. But it's us realizing that we are not worthy of the grace of God. And, and so there, there was something shared there that was very special. And I hope in our communities here at church we can share that. There was, uh, in a, as a result, I think, a real fearlessness that we could share together. Um, and I hope as we look today at the text that we, we can see where that fearlessness comes from, how we can be fearless in knowing that we are loved by God and that we can love others and be loved by other people. And the, the example, the two examples it uses here in the book of 1 John is, is Cain and Christ. And, and so in these characters, I want to show you how we are hindered from having fearless confidence in the love of God and how we are helped in having fearless confidence in the love of God. And so the first is, is Cain, who is sort of this prototype, this, this example of, of what it means to be an adversary of love. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me back to the story uh, in Genesis Chapter, um, chapter 4 is where it can be found. And I think when John wrote, he just naturally assumed that the people who were reading were familiar with the story, so he just launched into it. But, um, but we're going to go back and, and check out why Cain would be the one who's an example of, of missing the point. Starting in verse 1. It says, Adam lay, Adam, Adam as in Adam and Eve, first couple. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. So, we're just going to stop there. We're going to pause there. What, we've, what we discover in this short snippet is what we're going to call the entitlement and self-centeredness of Cain. The entitlement and self-centeredness of Cain. Um, so if you, if you read this, Cain comes along, and, and he is the joy of his parents. Um, there was a promise made in the chapter before, after Adam and Eve fell, that, that one day a man would come and would crush the curse and restore and so they see Cain, and they're very excited about this. And Cain, so Cain is this, this real golden child. And he knows it. And then Abel comes like, oh, Abel. All right, good old Abel. Go out and watch your flock, Abel, right? And, 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 and so Cain had this, this self-centeredness 
which leads, and, and, and we'll see how this plays out. You'll see why we talk about it like this. And, and what I want to show first is that with self-centeredness, it is impossible to see genuine faith arise in your life. Why? Well, because faith is a confidence in and conviction of who God is. Right? It's a conviction of, of what God can do that you cannot do. And when you are self-centered, when you have entitlement and self-centeredness, you, you are convinced that everything somehow revolves around you. Right? Somehow. I don't know how, but the problems of the world, issues of the world, somehow have something to do with you. And Cain had this, this idea. And what this led to was what followed. It says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked in the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Verse 4, But Abel brought fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. I'm the golden child. You can't do that to me. Right? Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you did what was right, will not you be accepted? It's not because of right of birth. <laughs> but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. But you must master it. So self-centeredness, what this leads to is a disregard for God first and disregard for our fellow humans second. So disregard for God first. So Cain, thinking he was entitled to the favor of God, brought a sacrifice along with Abel because he knew he should. So Cain sacrifices something. But is the sacrifice completely of self-absorption and self-centeredness. He just brings something. Well, here's something. Hope it works. But the Bible clearly says throughout the very beginning of time, right, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, what we've looked at in 1 John is this, that God is about relationship. In the book of Psalms it says, you do not delight in sacrifices or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord. You do not despise. So it's a heart that comes to regard and acknowledge God, not to come and acknowledge myself. So that means if someone's up here and they're playing, even if they're singing to Jesus, Jesus, right? And they're singing, that if, if in their heart they're acknowledging themselves and not acknowledging God, their sacrifices is in vain. That's powerful. So when we enter a relationship with God, we are not entering into a relationship merely with a hired protector, not merely with someone who is a genie, right? not merely someone who, when we need him, will show up. That is not our relationship with God. And that's what Cain, because he was self-consumed, self-absorbed, self-centered, thought a relationship with God was about. And so when he brought a sacrifice, it was not the sacrifice that God was looking for. Do we live in a disregard for God like that? Thinking that God will just show up when we need him. Because that's what Cain thought. What this also led to was a disregard of 
of his brother or a disregard of humanity. And in verse 4, Genesis, uh, sorry, Genesis 4, verse 8, it says, Now Cain said to his brother, Let us go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. So entitlement, self-centeredness, leads to hatred and separation, which leads to murder. And you might think, this is crazy. But what this, what this is saying here, and follow me, is that self-centeredness will lead to a brokenness of relationship, right? A brokenness of relationship. In the case of Cain, what that led to was the first murder. But in our lives, what does this look to? Turn back with me to 1 John here, and I'll explain how this ties in. In 1 John 4.17, oh, sorry, in 1 John 3, verse 17, it says, if anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? If you have material possession but see your brother or your sister in need, do not have pity on them, how could the love of God be in you? And so, like when Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount said, okay, you've heard don't commit adultery, but I say don't look lustfully at a woman. John here is saying likewise. You've said, you've heard Cain murdered somebody. I'm saying if you, if you despise the person who has needs in your midst, you're murdering them. That's a tough word, right? So if we, translating this, if we neglect the poor, if we practice in our lives a disregard for those in need, we are Cain. <laughs> and our sacrifices that we bring, our sacrifices of worship that we bring, are, are devoid of meaning. Why? Because, because how can the love of God be in you, flowing through you, if you don't care about what he cares about? That's why, that's why God came down so hard on Cain. You're not entitled to this. Cain, bring a good sacrifice, a relationship restored with God, a relationship restored with people, not just the people you like. This is a powerful word. Okay. The life of Jesus stands in clear contrast to the life of Cain. For this, if you turn with me to Philippians, the book of Philippians is a couple books before the book of 1 John, right after the book of Ephesians. If you turn to Philippians 2, this will, un- so the first one was, why do we live so fearless and powerless? And part of the answer, part of the response to that is we neglect to realize what a fullness of relationship with God is. It's, it's not just me and Jesus hanging out. God is looking for the restoration of all things, and he's wanting us to participate in that. In Philippians 2, we're going to just start in verse 1. It says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete of being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and truth. Do nothing, this is a good word here, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not look to your own interests, 
but to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what do we see here in Jesus? What we see in contrast to Cain's entitlement and self-centeredness, we find in Jesus humility and self-sacrifice. What increases your fear and your idea of separateness from one another in God is holding on to a sense of entitlement. What increases your sense of being loved by God and being able to share that with one another is humility and self-sacrifice. In verse 2, Philippians, uh, sorry, Philippians 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Imagine with me what a church would look like if you considered one another as better than yourself. That would be so freaking cool. <laughs> if you came and you weren't just judging people. I see that person. Right? No, you came and, and your, your heart, your thoughts were to elevate the other person, not to look down on them or feel separate from them, but to exalt them before God. How did this happen? How could this happen? Well, it can happen for you because it happened for Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you can't humble yourself, consider Jesus who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. It means he wasn't constantly grasping at, do you know who I am? I'll show you who I am. Boom. No. (laughs) He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking on your nature. He humbled himself. That's, That's where fearless love begins. Humility. Not entitlement, but humility. And this grows with a regard for God, a regard that Cain totally missed out on. In in verse 8 of Philippians 2, it says, He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so Jesus lived his life according to the plan and purpose of God, the plan and purpose of God that was outlined before the creation of the world, it says in the scripture, and he lived obedient. Humility leads to what? Not self-assertiveness, I'll show my rights, but but obedience. And, and, And this doesn't lead to a powerless life, this leads to a life of power, Right? Because when we are weak, he is strong, and we see what our true identity is. We're not grasping at our identity, but we're letting God affirm what our identity is in him. And it leads, 
finally to a regard for the other person. This is what we see in Jesus as he became human, being made in human likeness, right? As we try to escape the world and escape people that annoy us, Jesus is finding a way into the world <laughs> to restore it. And that's powerful. So it needs to be a reversal of our mentality. Oh, if I'm going to have peace, I need to get away. No. It means participating in, in the incarnation of Jesus. Is this your attitude towards others? And I think for most of us, we could probably say, no. Um, no, it hasn't been. And, and I think that is, well, scripturally, that is a direct contributing factor to why we maintain such an uncertainty of God's love for us and an uncertainty of our love for one another is this very thing. The evidence of, and this is, this is incredible, uh, and we'd ask, so what, what could be evidence of whether I'm a Cain or, or, or in the likeness of Christ? And, and the simple evidence it gives here is if you see a brother or sister in need, do you have pity on them? <laughs> this is not disregarding the truth of the gospel. We've already established that. It said earlier in 1 John 2, right, that we have one who speaks on our behalf, Jesus Christ. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's established. We know that it's by grace we've been saved, but why can we have uncertainty about the atonement? Why can we have uncertainty about if it's true for us? And it goes on to say, we should not build ourselves upon the safety of words. Oftentimes when people come, they're like, Dan, how do I know that I'm saved? How often do they, do we just want to hear, well, you've been saved and you are saved. God's not going back on his word, and he's not. But how do you, how do you grow in certainty of that is walking in it. Action. It's not, see what it says here. It says, let us love not in words or tongue. Anyone can do that. But let us, let us love in actions and in truth. Right? So how often do we just want to hear somebody say a word that we can hold on to that word? And God's saying, no, Live. Empowering you to be people who seek the restoration of your community. Right? Seek people being reconciled to Him. And when you do that, you'll realize how greatly He loves the community, how greatly He is in love with you also. In Matthew 25, there is a, a powerful image that Jesus gives. It says, when the Son of Man comes, this is the final coming, when the Son of Man comes and all his holy angels with him, and he sits on his glorious throne, it says, and he, he will bring the world to himself. He's going to separate the sheep and the goats. Those who have been made in the likeness of Christ are made in the likeness of Cain, right? And it says, what will happen? How will they be divided? It says, well... He says, welcome into the relationships you've, you've had with me. And it will be continued on. Why? And it was evidenced by this. Because I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you came to me. I was hungry and you fed me. And this is incredible because oftentimes we want to reassert a word. 
Because the gospel is powerful and it's true and it saves you. But we want to keep reasserting that. When, when Jesus is going, live from that. Let your actions be filled with love because I have loved you. Does that make sense? Don't keep, as you go back to the truth, the truth is meant to be something lived out. Not just, not just a word or a concept. It is meant to be restoring actively the world that we're a part of. And I believe when we participate in that, we will know certainty like we've never known before. And, and you see that here. It says, this then is how we know that we belong to truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. That's a powerful word. So how is your heart? Is it at rest in his presence? And one of the answers is, like we shared some of what are you doing with your time, your talent, your treasure? Are you seeking the restoration of all things? Because that's what he is investing in. Are you merely referring to words or are you living it out in action? And, and it's very important. So how do we do this as a church? There's a couple of ways that we just practically do it here. You know, we hope as community groups that we're going to be actively serving the community together, right? Um, that we'll be going out to places like Cottage Bay, which we've been, or even coming down here and helping out with the kids at the Oasis Center. We have awesome organizations here where you can live out in action and not just words, right? Obviously, we have our programs here. We have kids that you can mentor, right, or spend time with, right? Cheryl represents the Salvation Army. There's opportunities there, right? Rosie with Scarlet Road, victim of sex trafficking, right? Are we people who are about the restoration of all things? Are we, are we coming every Sunday just to get another word? And it can't be about that. It has to be, let us not love with words or talk. Let us love with action and in truth. So as we conclude, my prayer for us is this, that we will be a church that knows we are loved by God and knows that we love one another because we have built our life upon truth and that is expressing itself in actions of love. Do you love? Let's pray. God, it's incredible that you, you intend for um, people to know we're Christians by our love. That we are about that. We're about loving one another and loving you. And, and that being real and expressing itself really in the world that we're surrounded by. God, may we be a means of your mercy being spread throughout this city and this community. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.